I guess people always sort of talk about how music is, um, it's, it's that emotional connection, isn't it? That no, nothing else can really bring in the same way. So I think that's what a lot of the time what music is, is it's a bit more of the kind of subconscious. Today's guest is Abby Leland, who's always had an interest and passion for music. As a teenager, she started her career in the world of film as a runner for a production company and later went on to work for a record label, where she was able to learn about soundtracks and music in depth. This later led to her decision to become a freelance music supervisor. Over time, Abby decided to start her own music supervision company, Leland Music. And as well as film and TV, Abby branched into commercials and brands working with the likes of Sony and Nike, as well as for the anticipated yearly Christmas John Lewis ads since 2010. Abby has music supervised on productions such as The Last King of Scotland, Top Boy, Formula One Drive to Survive, Small Lacks and the upcoming Benediction to name a few. Hi Abby. Hi. Um, Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you're a music supervisor in the film and television and advertising industry as well and you're also founder of Leland Music. So I'm going to ask by, I'll go and delve into a little bit more about Leland later but as a music supervisor what do you do? What does it involve for you? Um, So I mean, broadly speaking, and I guess putting it in a practical way, the music supervisor is the, the head of the music department. But I guess a more creative way of looking at it is, is that my job is to understand the sort of creative vision of the, um, of, of the production and to be able to translate that in musical terms and figure out what the what the musical voice of the of, of the film or TV series is. To me, that sounds like quite a hard thing to do to attach. Um, I mean, I think all of us can think of songs that evoke memories or we attach to a piece of something that we've seen. Um, but when you're trying to actually put those things together, how do you start? How does the whole process work from beginning to end? I guess? So, I mean, normally what happens is, is I'm brought on board quite early on. So it's script stage. And I would read a script and then have a conversation with the director and the producer. Um, and normally what happens and hopefully what happens at that, at that stage is, is sort of instinct kicks in and I start to get a sense of, um, essentially, you know, you've got a sense of what the story is, the tone of it, the feel of it, perhaps, you know, the whole style of it. And, and that, that kind of gives me enough to then be able to start to figure out what sort of world, or at least start to explore what sort of world um, we're in with the music. I mean, it's it's there's also obvious there's obvious sort of things in terms of uh, time and place as well. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's always going to then be sort of translated literally with music. I mean, if you look at something like Peaky Blinders, it's, it's, it's using music completely out of that period. So it doesn't necessarily inform it directly, but, um, but yeah, so I start, to, I start to, at that early stage, just almost piece together like a sort of music mood board um, of just ideas that feel like they're in an interesting sort of space for it and then and then go from there but every production is so different in terms of how it might be using music because you've got obviously the score which a composer will create you've got then licensed tracks which um, is you know researching and, and licensing existing music you've got musicals where you're creating completely um new songs so 
every production is sort of different in terms of how you might be using music. And um, again, I, I kind of it's one of these questions when I ask them when I ask them to say, for example, a cinematographer or a costume designer, and they have it's kind of a weird thing to articulate when you have this kind of nat- kind of an instinct, internal instinct over the time, I guess, that you develop to sort of knowing. Is there any moments where you see something, or you've heard this, you've read the script, or you see a, a, something visual in relation to the production that you're working on? Instinctively, you think this would be great, or this kind of thing would be great. Yeah, I think so. I mean. Um, I'm definitely, I work in quite a kind of, I guess, a sort of emotive way. So I'll look at it in, I'll I'll really try to get a sense of the feel of something um, rather than necessarily looking at it more kind of academically to start with. So, um, so yeah, I think once you've got a kind of sense of the feeling, then, then it just sort of triggers an idea. You just think, oh yeah, this composer or this artist, this sort of genre. And I kind of just, one sort of idea then triggers the next and it just sort of flows in a way. Yeah. Now, how did you get into what you do? What were your beginnings? Well, uh, so I, um, I mean, there is, I was going to say, I I didn't really have a conventional way into it, but there, there isn't really a conventional way into it. So I, I, got about three months into my A-levels and um, and I was doing film studies was one of them. I was doing film studies, art and psychology, um, but got about three months in and it really wasn't working for me. I think, again, learning in that sort of, in that sort of setting, I guess, it, again, in quite an academic way, just doesn't quite fit for me. Um, and um, I left college and I was I'd I at that point I think I wanted to be a film producer and so I was very lucky to already my I've got family that work in film so I think my my dad was like oh my gosh what am I going to do with my dropout daughter and 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 introduced me to um a, a production company to go and see if they would take me on as a runner um and they did so I, I went and started to work as a runner um, at this production company and I loved it I really loved it um, you know I was 17 and I was running around delivering like actually doing what a runner did in those days which was delivering packages <laughs> by foot all around Soho um, and it was great um, and um, and then that sort of moved on I was always really into music and and um, and it was so it, I, I, not necessarily as and I'm not a musician myself, but music's always been an important part of my life. And and then I um, really was just quite lucky again through conversation when I was working as a runner on a on a film. Someone was sort of asking me what I wanted to do when I was older. And I said, well, I love music. I'd quite like to work in music. And she said, oh, my friend actually worked at this record label and she's just she just left. So there's a there's they're probably looking for someone so I I called them and went in and got interviewed and then got a job at this record label um I was about yeah 18 19 um so that was great so that was my sort of first job in then in music having worked in film and then worked in music um and that was compiling compilations so that was my sort of first job almost like curating music as well um, and then I worked at a, a, a label that specialised in vinyl 
Um, and they were re-releasing lots of classic vinyl, like soundtracks from John Barry and Lalo Schifrin. And that really opened up my eyes to, um, to soundtracks and to film composers. And I started to question like, oh, well, who, what jobs are there in that area? You know, having worked in film and now in music and sort of wanting to, I guess, piece the two together. So I, I knocked on doors and eventually found, um, it, was, it wasn't immediate, that there was a job called music supervisor. And this was back in, my first music supervision job was in 1998. So this is a long time ago. And the, the role was a, a lot less known in those days. Um, and um, yeah, so I decided then, right, I, that's what I want to do. And um, just try to find out as much as I could about the job, just went and essentially I kind of pestered people and <laughs> get in the room with them and ask them lots of questions and um, find out where there are opportunities and I eventually decided to just try to start doing it myself and um, was very friendly with a film composer um, called Simon Boswell who essentially gave me my first break so I'll be forever grateful and he was working on a um, film and they needed some tracks um, for it and he said well look why don't you come in and and do it um, so he brought he brought me on board and um, yeah and that was my sort of first job I completely learned on the job yeah and it was great that sounds very cool uh, was it really scary that first job doing well, it, yeah I think it was but I think also I was just really excited and I think also at that I mean I was 20 and I think at that age I, and maybe I'm just a bit like it as well I just sort of got my head down and like just got on with it and just I guess to a certain extent tried you know didn't sort of overthink it and I was ambitious and um, excited to just be a part of it I think I mean I definitely knew that I couldn't mess up and that I was sort of in at the deep end but what I did is that I'd met um, I'd met a guy who also really wanted to be a music supervisor and he was already working in a job where he knew all about the licensing of music into film so I brought him on board with me I called him up and he like literally left his job I think that day <laughs> and came and, and worked with me and we went and worked in, in the office um, yeah, of the production company. Um, so I think if I hadn't done that, I think I, I'm, I'm not sure maybe I wouldn't be sat here now. Maybe <laughs> I really messed it up because I think I think there's certain areas that you can learn on the job and other areas that you can't. And licensing would be one of those. I mean, you can learn it as in from someone else but, you, but if I was just responsible for, for licensing in tracks without knowing what I was doing I could definitely um, make make a mistake and um, you can't afford to do that you know. No no um, you mentioned licensing that was actually one of my questions how, how does that work in film or tv or documentaries? In terms of the actual licensing of the mm. rights well, I mean, essentially, without going into too much detail, which might bore you, um, it's, um, um, I mean, in the licensing of, say, an existing piece of music, um, every sort of track has a publisher, they have the publishing rights, and then the master rights, which is normally sits with, say, a record label. So you're dealing with those um, two different rights. 
and we then have to negotiate um, and clear those rights based on what rights are needed for the production. That sounds um, quite complicated. It, I mean, <laughs> it is actually, and <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously not so complicated once you've once that's your job and you obviously under, understand what you're doing. But at the same time, actually, I'd say we've sort of come to a point where it, it is quite com- more complex than it used to be because I guess media has changed so much um, and rights have become more complex. So it, it, there is quite a lot to, to navigate with that. At the same time, I think there's there's some very kind of, there's some sort of basic understanding around it that I think if if you're new to the job, once you're, in it and you're learning it's just a matter of doing it and doing it again and doing it again and and then eventually it sort of it all makes sense and but it's there's a lot of um I think just being it's almost like just having to look ahead and and see what problems there could be or just making sure that everything is really covered and we haven't missed anything because every track is different and um yeah I guess you've got to that it's dumped track by track or piece by piece I guess isn't it? exactly yeah um yeah. but is that quite different if you've got a composer on board with you on that on yeah so with it with a composer I mean in terms of in terms of um a music supervision's supervisor's role with a composer um again depending on the production but what I will generally be doing is first off looking for the right composer for that um, for that film, um, and then once that person is found, or then contracting that composer. So yeah, the, the contract for that is very different to. I mean, there's there's obviously similarities, but but on the whole, um, quite a different contract to the licensing of an existing piece of music um, because it's more a commissioning agreement. You're commissioning a composer to 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 write the music, so. Um, so yeah, our role will also be to to cover that side of things. So it's it's quite a it's quite a a, a sort of broad and varied role in in that sense that you're you're it's a very creative role, um, and then it's also you have to it's also very um, legal. It's 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 a lot of rights and contracts. Um, so if that side of things kind of something that you're just not interested in at all then um you know it's you're going to struggle because it is just part of it Mm. and the two do kind of work side by side I mean obviously I'm very lucky now and I've got a I've got a company and a a team and I can and and we've got you know areas that we've got our business affairs department so they'll that you've got all the kind of legal support there so it's not like everything is on me but at the same time I've reached that point where I've I have that understanding of it all um and you have to have that understanding of it all even if you reach a point where you can bring in other people to um to, to offload you still need to understand it um and then you've got the whole practical um side of the role as well of which is more like than this the sort of producer side of it where essentially it's your it's your role to make sure that that you're delivering the music and whatever 
whatever form that comes in and you're delivering it on budget and in time so there's a lot of scheduling and managing of budgets and so it's very varied in that sense um you mentioned budgets actually and I imagine depending on what you work and they give you a different amount of block of money to sort of spend away. Um, I mean, I was speaking to someone else who works in production and she was saying that um, kind of having clips of sport is super, super expensive. And, that you know, it's one of those things that kind of can eat away of a budget. Is, is music similar in that way? It can be quite pricey. It's, it's a very weird thing to say, but can it be quite pricey in relation to a production yeah. when you're spending loads oh, yeah. of money? But... Yeah, absolutely. And And I think, you know, when you're working with an overall budget and you're making... Um, decisions is to you know you've got to balance that budget across all the musical um, requirements you've got to make those decisions as to where to spend the money and where to save the money and so yes you could if you suddenly um, want to put on a bit of Nina Simone or the Beatles or the Rolling Stones on, on the radio in the background whilst, you know unless that's unless it's a very significant moment but if it's someone just uh, having a chat in the kitchen and it's a background radio chat, then you don't want to blow your budget on on that, you know. So, <laughs> but yeah, and it's and it's a funny thing in terms of valuing music. And again, that's sort of something that just, there's, you can't learn it beyond just doing it mm-hmm. and being and having done the job for enough time to then have that understanding of how you value one piece of music versus another piece of music, depending on what the production is the budget of the production the scale of the production what where it's um going to be sitting you know how it's distributed all of those things have a different play a part in terms of how you would value different pieces of music so yeah so you couldn't i couldn't you can't sit down and teach that really no, and actually, the word you, the word I was looking for is value. The value that's a good um, good word. It is a funny thing to um, attribute to something, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite interesting that conversation. Yeah. Um, what is you probably can't say, but I'm going to ask. And if you can't say, you can't say. That's completely fine. Um, what is the most expensive thing you've had to sort of commission or include or get a license for? Um, I mean, I guess to a certain degree, it's it's it is the sort of obvious there's always exceptions to the rule and it's not as black and white as this, but an incredibly famous track is going to be way more expensive than a less famous track. And, and, and it particularly, so so you could be looking at, you know, like the people I just mentioned, like they're more kind of back catalog um, artists um, are going to be expensive, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Nina Simone you know all those sort of things um quite rightly come at a certain value but then also if you look at more modern artists than someone like Beyonce or you know and particularly as well when you with with modern tracks there's there's often a lot of writers as well so um so you could be looking at a track that's got say six different writers on it and all those rights will sit with with those different writers and and probably their their publishers who publish wow. them and you've got to clear every different bit of it so yeah there's a, a kind of big modern um successful pop acts that can that can come at quite a high price as well mm. um 
is it sometimes you think why is this worth so much why is it do you ever go really there's definitely those times you know where will there will it's perception isn't it and it's Mm. and it's how um the value that a copyright owner might place on something might be higher than we think it should be for what we're looking at and compared to say other um the other copyrights that we're looking at so there's definitely those situations I mean I think for for me it's very much about creating something that feels right and feels fair um I'm not someone who's just trying to drive the fees as low as possible because actually it's not um it's kind of counterproductive in the long run. Um, and most film producers that I work with, I think have that understanding that it's not, it's not actually just trying, I think undervaluing things is, is, is really not good for the industry as a whole. So I think it's about trying to create something that's fair, that's workable for the production. Um, and that is workable and fair for, for on, the, on the music side for the, for the artists and writers. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Now, so in terms of just a little, uh, sorry, I know I probably, you probably did answer this, but I'm, I'm just, just to get, um, ask a little bit more about it. In terms of in the process of you, once you've, um, you know, you said you started in terms of when you they've got the script and they're just starting off. Um, when do you actually add the, once you've picked what you want to pick, the music you want to pick, or if you've commissioned a, a composer, when are you then putting that music onto the visuals is it done right at the right right at the end or is it an ongoing process through editing yeah so I mean I guess the the music supervisor role is I guess considered a a post-production role Um, so even though we're coming on board early and and a lot of our work is also done early on um, depending on the way the music is is used because there are situations obviously where we have to clear music early on if someone's singing something or if it's if it's tied into um into the scene then obviously that has to all be cleared up front um but apart from those situations um a lot of decisions are made in post and and often quite up to the last minute as well um because there's there's you've got to have everyone in line and have everything approved so so we're not and we're not sort of necessarily confirming things with our on the music side of things so with the with the rights holders who who um, grant the licenses we're not confirming things until um, after the mix because sometimes in a mix things can change things can get dropped so it's actually then at that point that then we a lot of our kind of triggering of confirmation um happens yeah and and obviously you know in post I mean again composers will create music um early on and we're working also at very sort of early stage in terms of when the editor is just assembling the edit we'll be working then but at the same time um, things can change once you do see an edit. So once there's a sort of working rough cut, that's when you really kind of zone in on it and can start to, because you're then working to picture and you're then, it's that sort of basically seeing what what is 
exact you're getting into the detail of and, and making those decisions as to what really is working with the picture and then that will change as the edit changes and we'll work closely with um the director and the editor during the whole edit and then um and then once you've got a locked edit um then again you're sort of things decisions are starting to get made even more um you're starting to work with the sound mixers and um sound editors and and then yeah you kind of hit that that final stage of of mix and that's where everything gets completely locked it must be really nice seeing the work afterwards when it's um finished and seeing your kind of like that whole end-to-end process beginning to end process yeah it is (laughs) I mean it's really nice I do I guess one of the sort of nicest bits about it, and I guess this is for, probably for a lot of roles in, in, in film production, is that it's, it's taking something from an idea stage and seeing that materialise and then seeing it realised is a really great thing. Now, you've worked on the likes of um, Small Axe, Top Boy, Last King of Scotland, and also documentaries such as the F1 one on um, Netflix. Is there a difference between how you work um, on, say, a documentary film or television, or are they all quite similar in terms of actually practically what you're doing for your job? Yeah, they're all quite similar. And I guess it's just, again, it just the, cha- the, the difference is, in the end, just down to, I guess, the, the, the type of, of music it's I've worked on things where the majority of the music is score and then that's really about that it's really about connecting the right composer to the to the project and then being there to help bring that score to fruition with the the composer and the director um and then I've worked on other you know we're working on a project at the moment that's in production that is a musical so that's been creating and writing all the songs up front before they go into shoots um, or oh. something like Top Boy has quite a lot of licensed music in it. So that's sort of heavy on that side of things. So, and, and, and of course, and then there's other films where there's a, there's the sort of on screen performances. So then you're needing to, um, to work with that and make sure that you're, you're booking musicians for those onset performances. And so it varies a lot, but it's generally, you know, you could, I could write a list of the different, (laughs) different kind of ways in which um, music used. And then it's obviously just, just, just varies from production to production as to, to where the, you know, where the emphasis is lying, I guess, with which each different area. Yeah. Um, now, I'd like to ask you about your company, Leland Music. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about what it is and what you do. And yeah. Well, I guess to, to a certain extent, it's just it, I mean, it is a, it's a music supervision company. So and it was just me. Um, I started off as a as a, a sort of freelance music yeah. supervisor and it's just grown from there so we're now a, a team of music supervisors and and have um around that a, you know a broader team like I mentioned earlier of the sort of business affairs department that brings us all of our licensing and contract um support and much more and the research team who then they're there to provide extra 
work on on music research um, and on the creative side of things and often work as the kind of associate music supervisors which is I guess a sort of assistant music supervisor role um, but yeah it's it's essentially it's it's just a bigger version of just me <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you <laughs> what made you want to start the company I think that I think I always, from from day one, I think I always liked the idea of um, creating something like that. Um, and even though I worked for many years, really just just me, I think I always had that burning desire to create something a bit bigger than that. Um, and then I think having, you know, I got however many years, like over 10 years into into the job and and then it brought new a new challenge to me as well to to grow it and to start to um to start I like the idea of I like sort of growing an identity of a company and I like bringing in other people and, and seeing them develop into those roles and and the I find that quite rewarding to be able to then pass on my experience in kind of pass that on to other people and yeah and I think also then it was just that practical thing of that I was I was turning down quite a lot of work so naturally there's a greater capacity when there's there's a team of people so we can be working on multiple projects at the same time um, rather than when it's just yourself it's it's, it's a much smaller handful of things so Of course, it's a really cool. Um, it's really cool that you've set it up, and it's amazing. I think, I mean, I was reading about it, so I was obviously like, it's, it's really impressive. Um, now, amongst other things, other jobs that as a company that you guys have done music supervision for, the John Lewis Christmas ads. Now, you guys yeah. are in charge of the responsible for the music for those, yeah. and they are pretty iconic. And then now, every Christmas, there is a sort of this people really do look forward to seeing the ads and there is a bit of a mini race that goes on um yeah I mean in in terms of that how is it I guess you're the I don't know what the standard questions are that you get asked about it but is it just is it just as fun as it looks when you're watching the (laughs) when you're watching the ads um it's I mean I guess in turn my role is is quite it's like the same role but then there's so many differences when we work in advertising um and I love working in advertising and I feel really fortunate to be able to cross all these different media to work in film, TV and advertising. I love it, but it's very different. So it's a whole different dynamic um, and you're dealing with completely different roles um, on the on the advertising side of things. I mean, again, they're, they're, obviously the similarities, you have a director on, on an ad as you have a director on a film, but still it's, it's there's a lot of, there's a lot more um, people in, involved and, and different dynamics within them. And so it, it, can, it can be challenging in that respect, but I, I generally find it, that dynamic quite, um, enjoyable and yeah I mean it's it the John Lewis ads are they go on for a long time you know we'll we'll sometimes the earliest I think one year we, we got a, a script through was I think February no really and obviously the, the full-on work didn't kick in then but we will be working pretty full-on on it from say sort of June July through to then when we deliver in November 
And but um, and there are challenges, but I think the 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 ad agency and the client who we've worked with for for so long now, we know them so well um, that it, it that really helps things. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's an interesting one. Um, but but generally an enjoyable one that's good do you find that because it's such a because they've become quite iconic do you feel there's like a, and the music is such a massive part of those ads um like with anything but they they kind of go on to become their own little thing almost um yeah. do you find there's a, a lot of there's pressure there, there? I mean, there, there is now but I actually really try to put that aside and encourage everyone else to put that aside because I think what it does sometimes do is it makes everyone over question decisions and sometimes I think that it's just almost reassuring people and and reinforcing something when you know that you're going down the right road and just trying to keep steering it down the right road and you've got to deal with all the twists and turns and and the more the the more sort of well known it's become like I said the more everyone questions it and and feels the pressure but I guess I try to just navigate that by going, don't, don't let that like, um, influence. yeah, don't let that influence your judgment. Just, you know, if something's right or not, and just keep, keep going on the, on the right track. So, but yeah, it's definitely become a bigger beast than it, it was initially. Now I'll be thinking of you next time I see the, um, the John Lewis had come November, December. <laughs> um now you you mentioned researching music and actually um how how do you research music and i guess what are your sources of inspiration when it comes to sourcing mm. music for pr- productions well i mean for, for us i guess researching music is is just an it's an ongoing thing and we're always researching just in general and then obviously you're kind of researching on specific projects as well but we are in a very nice position of being um, sent a hell of a lot of music. I'm sent more music than I could ever possibly listen to. Um, coming in from all the labels and publishers and artists and composers and sync reps. And so um, we, and we're sent stuff very early on and, and that's everything we're sent. And globally, we, we get music from all over the world sent to us. So um, that you know it's it's there without us even trying now (laughs) just we've got such a broad network in that sense so we're having to constantly filter through that um and then beyond that we're we're doing just our our own research of all of our kind of favorite music blogs and magazines and then music platforms like SoundCloud and you know so we and obviously the Spotify which which we use but but it's much it obviously goes much much broader than that so um so yeah that is kind of that is just constant and then when we're on a project where then the research just becomes focused in it might be that you can lean on specialist labels of certain areas we lean a lot on our relationships with that we have with all the different entities and people within the music industry. Now, this may be a question I've taken, a, a kind of a topic we've taken, I've taken for granted, not asking it, I mean, thinking about it too much, but actually what is the importance of having music on, uh, whether it be a score or tracks, um, 
on something you watch? And well, I mean, I guess people always sort of talk about how music is. Um, it's it's that emotional connection, isn't it? That no- nothing else can really bring in the same way. So I think that's what a lot of the time what music is is bringing is is um, it's a bit more of the kind of subconscious and it's a bit more of just that of how you will connect with with that film emotionally. Mm. But again, that can come in, in in many different ways. How you do that for every film is is so different. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm I'm often um, one of the first people to to say when I in terms of taking music out as well. That's one of my hates is too much music in a in a film. So I'm often you know it's not just about it's not just about decisions in terms of what the music is, but it's you know where it is as well. Mm. And, and making sure that that you're that you're um, getting that right and choosing the the right musical moments and knowing where the space needs to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, many people have like a playlist, whether it be on Spotify or whatever, where it's just film music. See, I, it's a very they kind of have their own life after the, whatever, yeah. the film or whatever it is that it's been on. Um, yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. It's very um, emotive. It's a very yeah. emotive process. Yeah. Now that brings me on to my final question, which is, what are your three torch recommendations? <laughs> well, I, what's fresh in my mind because I've just recently watched it um, is the Sound of Metal, which was oh, it's on my list. Sorry. Yeah, very good. We, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really fault it. I love that film, and obviously, um, it's been it's it's been well received in terms of the sound of it which was incredible i need to actually watch some more podcast things about it as to how they approach the sound because it sounds really interesting the different techniques that they used um so definitely that and in terms of tv that i watched not a little while ago i loved that and i loved the score was um homecoming season two with the score from um emile masseri which was just brilliant it's, and it's got I, i'd watched the first one as well and really enjoyed it but the second one is, has um got janelle monet in it who is brilliant in it and then just, uh, yeah exactly yeah and she's she stars in it and she's great and um that was one of the films where I really started to discover this this composer's work, Emile's work, and he's he's just brilliant. He just creates really unique scores, which um, and he's just got a, a quite a he just does have quite a unique um, sound and approach. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Oh, uh, check that out. Mm. And then I guess one of my favourite films of the last few years, that's one of those films that I want to watch more than once, which I don't often do because I (laughs) feel like I've got too many other films to watch that I can't afford to just watch on repeat. But I have watched this more than once. (laughs) um, Queen and Slim. I love it. Such a good film. Yeah. I mean, I think probably everyone's seen it by now, but if they haven't, they should. It's a really good film. Yeah, and okay. and again, I mean, brilliant, brilliant music. Um, and and I think they got the balance really right. I think the music is is a, a really key part of it, but they didn't go overboard with with too much. Um, but it was a, it's a great composer who he's he's um, his artist name is um, Blood Orange, 
Um, but his, his name is Dev Hines, Devonte Hines, and he did the score, which is brilliant. And then there's a great track called Collide by um, a, a British um, artist called Tiana Major Nine, which um, I have listened to that track to death. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, I should check. I, I, I've, I've watched it once. I haven't rewatched it. Um, I remember the music right at the end, that end scene where, yeah. I mean, I, I can't really say, I don't know if anyone's not watched it, but it's a pretty yeah. dramatic ending, but the music yeah. leading up to that was pretty cool. And actually, sorry, I know I've sort of said no more questions, but you mentioned it um, there about the, um, and you mentioned it earlier as well, but not having too much music and almost, mm -hmm. is it, do you think it's something where the viewer, if they notice it, it should almost go unnoticed, the music? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think pe everyone's really different in that way, aren't they? And um, I will often find that like, when I'm watching a rough cut or something and there's temp in it, I just watch that rough cut once and then I have to go back and watch it again because I because I think, like I said as well, I, I just get caught up in the feeling of everything. Um, and then, I, and even though music is my job, I always have to go back a second time and watch it and be like, no, just concentrate on the music and notice what the music is, is doing. But I think it's absolutely fine to have, like, I, I don't think it all needs to just, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously there is underscore, but there are big musical moments in some film and TV. I mean, if you look at Quentin Tarantino's mm. film, you know, you're supposed to notice the music and, and that's it. it works. Um, so again, I think it's really different, but, um, but yeah, often you'll sort of come away with just the, the feel of it rather than necessarily um, having really acknowledged each sort of track and cue in there. No, that, that makes sense. Um, thank you, Abby, for your recommendations and thank you for coming on the podcast. I really Pleasure. enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Abby. Tune into the next episode where I'll be speaking to Flo Foxworthy, who is the head of soft costume and textiles at the Weta Workshop. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.